Let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. And let me start with an unusual text for going quickly through Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 4 is the glory of God. Revelation chapter 5 is the glory of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, with the emphasis being on the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 5. I want to stir you up about a subject matter that is very important in the Bible and often overlooked, and I believe that will help you love the Lord Jesus Christ more to spend some time researching this particular subject. I have shown you in Revelation, in Romans, in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 8, and Hebrews chapter 7, that the Lord Jesus dying for us and being raised for us are indeed tremendous events in the history of the universe. However, we do not want to stop with his death and his resurrection. We want to remember his ascension, his coronation, his exaltation, and his glorification in heaven. And Revelation chapter 5 is one of the places in the Bible that contributes to our knowledge of what took place in heaven when they saw for the first time the Redeemer. I want you to love the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, in 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. It lists six factors about Christ. And the sixth is, Received up into glory, where He has been promoted over all principalities and powers, thrones, might, dominion, and every name that is to be named in this world and in the world to come. It is a subject that lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ. If we leave Him in the grave, or we leave Him on a crucifix, or we just see Him resurrected, we are cutting short the revelation in the Bible of what actually happened when He left the atmosphere of this world. You are restraining Him to what you know about Him in this world when there were some stupendous things that happened in heaven of Him being promoted over the angelic hosts and seated at the right hand of the Father, which we're going to see in Revelation 5. We better hurry up and get there. But I want to start with this text as an obscure example of how we ought to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2.15, where the apostle has reminded women in verses 9 and 10 that they dressed modestly and are known for good works rather than their outward appearance, where in verses 11 and 12 they are told to be silent in the churches of Jesus Christ, nor are they ever allowed to teach, where in verses 13 and 14 they are reminded that they were created for their husband, number one, And number two, they were the ones that failed in the Garden of Eden by their weakness. Notwithstanding, in spite of a few problems that came upon women, in spite of God having created them for the man and not the man for them, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Though that last half of the verse 
is describing God's elect among women. God's elect among women bear the fruit and the evidence of faith, love, and holiness with sober living. They will be saved in childbearing. And I've preached this another time, and I don't have any time this time except to say this is what the text means. Notwithstanding, they shall be saved in childbearing, the childbearing being that of Mary of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very vehicle that was cursed in Eden. The woman's childbearing and her conception were cursed, but that cursed childbearing brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Lord Jesus Christ was brought into this world from the womb of a woman. He was laid in a manger. He grew up. He was crucified. He was laid in a grave for three days and three nights. And He rose from the dead. Then, 40 days later, He ascended into heaven, was received up into glory, and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and the choirs of heaven burst forth with saying, He was worthy to receive praise that had been given to God thus far. And a man, a brother from among us, a mighty one, Psalm 89 says, that God chose from among the people is at the right hand of God. And you will need Him. And you will love Him. And you will admire Him in that day when He appears to be our mediator in a way that you've never seen before when He owns us without shame before His Father in heaven as the Lord Jesus Christ, King and Priest of all. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is about what took place in heaven after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read more about it in Revelation chapter 12. Because I said there are several panoramic views of the time from Christ's first coming to His second coming given repeatedly in the book of Revelation. Chapter 12 describes the man-child being caught up to heaven and ruling with the rod of iron. There being war in heaven and the devil and his angels not winning that war. They did not prevail because Michael and his angels prevailed and the devil was cast out of heaven and was cast out into the earth because the Lord had arrived. Heaven isn't big enough for Jesus Christ and the devil. And so Jesus Christ threw him out of heaven. The accuser of the brethren was cast down. Why? Because our lawyer was at the right hand of God. And who shall anything the charge of God's elect when our lawyer is there? That is our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, brethren, there is a sermon preached in 2003 in this church by someone called He Ascended Up on High. It will bless your heart with a variety of passages from the Bible about the ascension of Jesus Christ There was a sermon preached much later than that called the coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ because the Bible says of Him, follow me, I have limited time. In Hebrews chapter 1, it says that Jesus was made... Oh. Being made so much better than the angels. Do you understand Hebrews 1 and 2? When it says He was made so much better than the angels... Was that when He was made of a woman? Made under the law? Oh no. Because Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that when He was made of that woman, He was made a little lower than the angels. Well, what's going on in Hebrews 1 and 2? There's an event 
And the event is this from Psalm 2. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. That is not his eternal generation for sure. That is not his incarnation. That is his resurrection and ascension into heaven where God declared to the universe, this is my son and he sits beside me. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And so in Hebrews chapter 1, it says he was made better than the angels. Hebrews 2 says he was made a little lower than the angels. Well, which is true? Yes. 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 He was made a little lower. Tells us why. For the suffering of death. But now he's made better because he had, listen, because he hath by inheritance obtained a better name than they. What is his name? Jesus the Son of God. The angels aren't the Son of God. The angels were told to worship the Son of God. And Revelation 5 opens up that door into heaven for us to see the four and twenty elders that had not seen their Redeemer yet. That's why they sung a new song. Abel was there. Abel knew that a male heir, a male son, a male, a he, from his mother, was coming to bruise the serpent's head. Abraham knew that his seed would bless all the Gentile nations of the earth. David knew his son would reign forever, but Abel and Abraham and David had never seen their Redeemer. They saw their Redeemer in in Revelation chapter 5. They are represented by the four and twenty elders and so are all the elect family of God because there was no man found in heaven or in earth or under the earth that could open the book of God's covenant decrees for the benefit of His church. The judgments that were peeled off of that thing that fell upon the enemies of the church and have fallen upon them so that we are here today nearly 2,000 years later than the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven. He is ruling the nations with a rod of iron. A geopolitical map of the earth shows the little fragmented pieces of a potter's vessel. And we have been preserved. We are still here and we are on our way to heaven. Hebrews is, is a wonderful book about the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was made a little lower, but then he was promoted at his ascension. He was crowned with glory and honor. Psalm 8 says that God has put all things under the feet of man. All things. And Paul quotes Psalm 8 in Hebrews 2. He quotes down through it. And he says, But we see not yet all things under His feet. That's verse 8. Verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that you can understand chapter 1, that he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they, being made so much better than the angels. Oh, brother. You want to see a vision of Jesus. You know, we have the Lord's Supper because he wants us to remember his death. We have baptism because he wants us to remember his resurrection. But do you know that there is another subject matter in the word of God that is taught all the way through it about him having a scepter of righteousness, his, him sitting on a throne, and him being a ruler and a king, and that commenced when he arrived in heaven. And it's all the way from Genesis. Jacob on his deathbed worked his way down his sons to number four, and he said the scepter shall not depart from Judah till Shiloh come. 
and to him shall the gathering of the people be. I don't. Does that do anything to you? That 2000 BC, there's a man on his deathbed who saw the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of glory with a scepter as king. That's why Peter in the day of Pentecost said, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly, God hath made that same Jesus whom you've crucified, Lord and Christ. King and priest. Revelation 5. Shouldn't need to say much now. (laughs) Revelation 5. A door has been opened into heaven, and you get to stand there when the church represented by four and twenty elders and four beasts sees the Redeemer for the first time, and he's presented symbolically. In this place, he's presented as a dead lamb, a lamb that was slain, revived with blood. On a white horse is chapter 19. Standing with a golden girdle wrapped around him is chapter 1. It depends on the context, the vision that God wants us to see. There is an event that took place in this universe of some races of beings that you know nothing about except from the Bible. When all those angels were told, let all the angels of God worship him. A command from the throne of him that sat in the throne that liveth forever and ever, let all the angels of God worship him. And a man was put over them. I know I repeat myself a lot, and I don't care when it comes to verses like, and every throne, might, dominion, and power, and principality was put under him. Because it's just wonderful, glorious language about the King and Savior that we have in heaven. There is nothing that you should fear in this life, and there is nothing that you should fear in death, because there is a King and a Savior that has gone right through that curtain of death for you, and is at the right hand of God, And Stephen would say that dying is this. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. My father said to my father-in-law, when he asked a few hours in advance what it's going to be like to die, my father told my father-in-law, the Lord Jesus will be at the foot of your bed and reach out his hand, take it. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Do you know why? Because we have a king on the throne of glory and we have a savior at the right hand of Almighty God. He is the thrice holy God, but we have a holy savior that satisfied every holy demand that God ever had and has washed us in his blood. Verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. This book was locked up for only one to be able to open it, and it was so full of matter they couldn't write on just one side of the vellum. Books in these days were not like books in your hands. They were rolls. They're called the roll of a book. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 9. 
the roll of a book, but there was so much matter, it's written on both sides. Ordinarily, you, roll, roll, you wrote on one side, and you rolled the thing open, and you were able to read it. This thing is written with excess matter. For whom? For you and for me. It's the book of God's covenant decrees for his people. Because it contains the judgment of their enemies, and it contains their salvation. Because when it is opened, and it is taken out of the hands of him on the throne, they sing a new song, and the new song is about salvation. It includes the book of life, or it is closely related to the book of life. We don't know exactly what the relationship is, but it includes the redeemed, because that's why there was so much excitement in heaven at its opening. Verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? A strong angel. Why didn't he open the book if he was a strong angel? No angel strong enough to do what had to be done. But the Lord Jesus did it. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. No man could get near that book, sealed up, and in the right hand of him that liveth forever and ever, that sat on the throne that John saw in chapter 4. No man. There is Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Amen. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. There is no other name. He's given him a name before which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's own him Lord now. Let's own him, let's own him Lord now in every part of our lives. Let's give the Lord our hearts and our minds. Our thoughts rage with sin. Our thoughts rage with foolishness. Let's rip it away and make him Lord of our thoughts. Our lips are wicked like they were in the days of Isaiah. Let's let Him be Lord of our lips and never say anything that we wouldn't say in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let our feet be His, our hands His, our money His, and all our time His. That Let Him be Lord of our lives. He is Lord. He's going to make Himself Lord one way or another. Let's just do it actively, agreeably, cheerfully, willingly, and let's do it right now. John tells us in verse 4, I wept much. Why was he weeping so much? Because that was the book of the covenant decrees of God for his people. This wasn't for angels. This is for the redeemed. That's what they sing in verses 8 through 10. This is for the, the, the angels had their enemies already taken care of. These are the enemies of the church that are going to get wiped out by the seals being torn off and the trumpets blowing and the vials being poured out upon the earth. This is the covenant decrees of God's everlasting covenant for the sake of His church. And it's there. And the benefits cannot be realized until the book is opened and the seals are ripped off it and no man in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open it. And John wept much. 
because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Was Aaron good enough? Was Moses good enough? Was Peter good enough? Was David good enough? Did they all know that they weren't good enough? Was Mary good enough? Did Mary say in Luke chapters 1 and 2, I rejoice in God my Savior. She knew that she needed a man to open that book. And one of the elders saith unto me, Oh, it's good that in heaven the church is not ignorant. See, John is not quite part of... Did you know that there's an expression called the church militant and the church triumphant? It's not, it's not biblical, but neither is the word trinity. The church militant is the church still fighting here on earth. The church triumphant is already there and they're not fighting anymore. But you know, the church triumphant that's in heaven, one of those elders there wasn't ignorant. God gave him understanding. And so he came to John. In verse 5, one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold. Behold, brethren. What does that word mean to you? Stop and take a look at what I'm about to show you. It's an interjection. It's the imperative of the verb to behold and to look at something. It's used to call men to attention. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Don't cry, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now we're about to see him as a lamb so that we can see the sacrificial aspect of him being slain for us. But if you want to see the fearlessness and the boldness and the leadership of the king of the beasts, then that symbol is used first. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. What does the word prevail mean? It means to fight. He's won. Do you know on the cross the Lord Jesus Christ cried, It is finished! The word prevail is used a few chapters from now. If you want to look over at 12.8 and see the word prevailed used again, because there was a war in heaven. There's a war in heaven. Verse 7 tells us Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and look at verse 8, and prevailed not. Oh, they didn't win. There's a battle going on, brethren, and the battle is for your souls. There's a battle between righteousness and wickedness, good and evil. They prevailed not, but who did prevail? The lion of the tribe of Judah, back to Revelation chapter 5. Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We learned last Sunday that the priesthood of Melchizedek, assigned to the Lord Jesus Christ forever, is because he came from a whole new tribe, not from the tribe of Levi. He came from the tribe of Judah, and it was taught us as an important event in Hebrews chapter 7. Here he's called the root of David. Now we could we could draw an argument that that's referring to his divine nature, because in his divine nature, he was the root of David, or the source of David and his family, just like he was the Lord of David. But we're not going there, because the Bible uses the root in a different word. When a certain certain kinds of trees fall down and corrupt, a root can come out of the decayed, dying remains of that tree. And in that sense, the Lord Jesus Christ is the root of David 
Because the line of Jesse and the line of David, though it had been preserved genealogically all the way to the Lord Jesus Christ, had decayed as far as any authority or position or power. For the king of the Jews at that time was Herod, an Edomite appointee. Now, if you want verses for this particular application, then you need to look around in the book of Revelation and Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 11, and I believe verse 10. Teach the same use of that word root, because right now we are dealing with the manhood and the Savior of the Lord Jesus Christ appearing on the scene in heaven. And the elder told John in verse 5, He hath prevailed. He won. He's victorious. He defeated the enemies. He has accomplished all the requirements. All prerequisites have been satisfied by the Lord Jesus Christ to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now he's been told, but now he sees. He didn't see the lion. He was told about the lion. And I beheld, and lo. That's another word for behold. Behold and lo are just like each other. They're synonyms. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne. Is that a good place? And of the four beasts. And they're, they're very close to the throne. He's in the middle of them. And in the midst of the elders, O brethren, stood a lamb as it had been slain. Died, but back. Bloody. Wounds. How would you know it had been slain? If it had just conked over from a heart attack and come back to life, how would you know it had been slain? Visible wounds. Visible, fatal wounds. Do you recall? I will not believe unless I can stick my fingers in his hands and my hand in his side. Do you recall? Does it detract from your king that he has glorified wounds? Stick your fingers in my hands. Healed and glorified, right along with the rest of his body, as it had been slain. A lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is called in Romans 8, 9, in Galatians 4, 6, the Spirit of Christ. If, no, if a man doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, what does it say? He is none of his. And Christ has sent forth his Spirit into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I like the seven horns and the seven eyes of this lamb as it had been slain. Fatal wounds. What would it be? Would it be a slash throat? Left in that ugly slash with blood all over it, but alive. And he came, verse 7, and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Do you like his boldness? And he came. He just walked right up to him that sat on the throne, him that liveth forever and ever. Are you kidding me? 
a man. God said he had chosen one mighty out of the people. The Lord Jesus Christ had said, Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. When he was in Gethsemane, he came and took the book. Now listen, there had been a lot going on in heaven about no man able to open that book. That strong angel had cried, Who is worthy to open the book? No one had answered. No one had taken up the opportunity to open that book. But the Lord Jesus Christ is not afraid of his Father. The Lord Jesus Christ, though his Father forsook him on the cross, what were his last words? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He arrives in heaven. Having done the will of his Father, he knew that it was written of him in the volume of the book. It is written, Hebrews chapter 10, in the volume of the book it is written of him to have laid down his body for the redemption of his brethren. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, things start to happen in heaven. And this is his coronation. This is his exaltation. This is his glorification. This is the result, this is the end of his ascension. Why he went up into heaven. He is going to receive all the glory and honor, praise, blessing, riches, wisdom that had never been given to a man before. But he is now worthy because he was slain. First choir is verse 8. And it's the choir of the four beasts and the four and twenty elders representing the church because they're going to speak on our behalf in verses 9 and 10. So I read three verses to you. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Their worship is shifted from Him that sat on the throne to the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. They had two things in their hands, harps for praise and golden vials for prayers. When you pray, do you know That if you're praying in the Spirit, your prayers end up in heaven coming out of golden vials of odors for the throne of God. And they sung a new song. They had harps for praise, golden vials for prayers, and they sung a new song. This song had not been sung before because there was no one to sing it to in heaven before this moment. Thou art worthy, goes the song to take the book. Thou art worthy. There is no doubt about the matter that you can take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And that is the first song, and that's a new song. And they said that Jesus Christ was worthy to take the book because He had died the redemptive death of all His people. Because the book was for the benefit of His people in their positive blessings of eternal life and in the negative blessings of destroying their enemies because that's what happened as soon as the seals began coming off is Trouble fell on their enemies. You can begin reading about it immediately in chapter 6. And so there are all these benefits and blessings flowing flowing to the elect of God represented by the four and twenty elders and the four beasts, and they're including us when they mention every kindred, tongue, 
people, and nation. And God has made us kings and priests. The Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross was so great in its power and what and its residual effect that it made us kings and priests to God. We can go straight to God with boldness because at His right hand is the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, and a Lamb as it had been slain. Our lawyer and mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. What have you been taught in your history books, in all of your years of school, that they think is important? Is it 1492? Is it 1642? Is it June 6th, 1944? What's the big days? What are the big events of human history? This annihilates them all. Right here. Right here. The thrice holy God. Did He grab that book that was in His hand away from Him that approached Him? No. He took it. Because He accepted the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when He accepted the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to take that book out of His hand, the last will and testament was in effect legally. The last will and testament was in effect practically. The last will and testament was being opened up by the Lord Jesus Christ for our benefits. And the benefits of eternal life flow from it to us. And that's the first song that is sung. And that's the first choir because... They're the closest ones to God. They're the ones that are the beneficiaries of it. Notice what they said in the middle of verse 9. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God. You have redeemed us to God. You have bought us back from the claims of sin and death over us. You have bought us for God. That is not in any other song or any other statement made by the three choirs of heaven. Because we are the intimate sons of God purchased by the blood of His own Son. Then it comes to choir number 2 in verse 11. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders. Do you notice that this circle is just not around the throne? It's on the outside of us. Do you see that? These are the things that we want to get from the big word picture that the Lord's giving us in Revelation chapter 5. They're on the outside of us. We're first. His death was for us. We've been redeemed to God. We've been given a name that's above the angels. We are the sons of God. They are our servants. But next, they break forth into a song because they now all report to the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Angels and principalities being made subject to Him, it is taught throughout Paul's epistles. Now they say, in verse 11, And I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, that's a hundred million, and thousands of thousands, that's many more millions, saying with a loud voice, oh, that's the way things ought to be done when you're praising God, is with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. But notice it doesn't say, and hath redeemed us to God by His blood. It cuts off. Jesus coming and dying to do the will of God is recognized even by the angels as a stupendous fact that God's only begotten Son would lay down His life for other men that He was slain, that He did the will of His Father which is in heaven, that He didn't pursue His own will in the Garden of Gethsemane, but His Father's will. 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power. And there's seven blessings here. Power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. But there is no personal, there is no personal description in there of what his death did for them because Hebrews 2 tells us, remember I said Hebrews 1 and 2 are pretty good? Hebrews 2 says he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the nature of the seed of Abraham. Amen. Humanity. That's why he was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. But now he's made a whole lot higher than the angels. That's the second song. Third song is every creature which is in heaven. Now, every creature, irrational creatures. Can God make an irrational creature praise him? Yes. Can God make inanimate matter praise Him? Yeah, of course. Can I give you two examples? You know the first one, an irrational creature. Did Balaam's ass do a decent job? Yes. Was there a time on earth when there was a little cloudy picture of this when Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time? Was, was there a colt, the foal of an ass? Was it dressed up like a king's transportation? Was Jesus on that? Were they throwing palm branches all the way in their clothes in front of him as he made his way into Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives? Were they crying out that he was the son of David, the Lord of glory, and blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord? Did the Pharisees come and tell him, rebuke your disciples, because do you know what they're saying about you? They're saying that you're the Messiah of God. Do you remember what he said? Inanimate matter? Can God make inanimate matter praise Him? Does inanimate matter obey Him? When He said, let there be light, was there light? When He said, may the the dry ground bring forth this and that, and may the waters, may the dry ground come out of the waters, did all of that happen? The Lord Jesus Christ told them, if these were to keep their peace right now, the rocks would cry out. I could just say those words for the next half hour and enjoy them the rocks would cry out. Well, I'm not a rock, and you're not a rock, so are we going to cry out? Is this going to be the best week of our lives where we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? If the rocks would cry out, let Jonathan Crosby cry out. And every creature which is in heaven, and on the earth, and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, And all that are in them, do you think that's the first heaven, the second heaven, the third heaven? Do you think he's got all the heavens in there? Yes, he does. Heard I saying, John heard blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. A man has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high and the praise given to God is also given to the Lamb. This is a big event. This is not the only place in the Bible. If you put them all together, you'll just flat out get excited if you love the Lord Jesus Christ. If you love power, if you love pomp and circumstance, if you love uh, an air show, you know, an air show is pretty impressive. When they turn the afterburners on, you feel it in your spleen. Did you feel anything in your spleen when you were in chapter 4 and there were thunders and lightnings and voices coming out of the Amen. throne of God? Amen. And, I, and I don't, I'm not trying to be 
I just want to lift you up above this earth and think of something stupendous in its glory. This chapter opens up a door in heaven for us to look in and see kind of obscurely, but it's glorious. Three choirs belting out his praise in order. And do you know who gets set off first? We do. Because we're the closest to the throne and his death was for us. It wasn't for the angels. They desire to look into these things. And I'll tell you, Ephesians 3.10, which is one of the most obscure verses in the New Testament, says that God has arranged all this to show principalities and powers his love toward the church. He specifically designed it this way so that principalities and powers would wonder about his great love for the church. Ephesians 3.10 ought to go beside 1 Peter 1.12 about the angels looking into it. And they give glory to him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for how long? Forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. Amen. It is enough. Be it so in truth. Verily, it is true. This is wonderful. And they said, Amen. And when they said, Amen, what the church do? And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. And they brought this view of the coronation to a close. And then in chapter 6, I mean, brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ takes that book and rips a seal off and things start happening in this earth. Just like chapter 1 and verse 1, just like chapter 1 and verse 3 described things which must shortly come to pass. And there were upheavals in nations and all kinds of things happened because the Lord Jesus Christ is now reigning. We are historicists. We believe that from chapter 6 forward to the end of chapter 11 is everything between the first and second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 12, it starts over again and you're introduced to the enemy of the church being the beast that comes up out of the sea in chapter 13, which is the papacy that comes up out of the four kingdoms of the earth. They're all represented by what comes up out of the sea. We see the woman, the garish church of the Roman Catholics, sitting on the beast of the Roman Empire, riding into power. We see power transmitting from the set to ten heads onto seven horns. We see all of that. It's, it, it, some of it can be explained. We're trusting the Lord to show us the rest of it. It gets to the end. Now that's, that's, that's the battle that's taking place between the saints of God and the Roman Catholic Church during the Dark Ages. It gets into the latter chapters of, of uh, the book of Revelation and it's the spiritual conflict that's going on between God and His enemies and the people of God. And then you see the Lord Jesus Christ coming and annihilating them all. And then the church of God comes down out of heaven and takes over the earth and the new heavens and the new earth and we shall reign with the Lord forever. And the four beasts said amen. If you haven't got enough of a picture today, you have this to go read. And if you want to write me and ask for places in the Bible to read about the ascension of Jesus Christ or His coronation, it would be my pleasure to send them to you. If you want to find them without asking me, he ascended up on high, the coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you need more when you get done with those, I'll get you more. I want you to glory in an event that took place in Revelation 5 that took place almost 2,000 years ago that crushes everything that we've ever read about or known about. And he is on his throne forever. He is never going to abdicate it. He's not growing older because do I remember some words from Psalm 110 in that obscure third verse? 
thou hast the dew of thy youth. Amen. He's been glorified in the prime of life. He is the son of David. It, it overwhelms me to think about Abel, Noah, Abraham, David, Mary, seeing their son, their seed, glorified in heaven. Never seen before until that day when he was crowned with glory and honor. The Lord Jesus Christ is fully God in his divine nature, but he is fully man in his human nature. He, in his human nature, as our mediator, is limited to time and space. He did go from this earth into heaven, and he does sit on the throne. And when we see him, we shall see him. He will come visibly, just like he left this world. You will not see God, but you will see the express image of his person. Hebrews 1.3 This is our Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted today just to share a little bit of God's glory and Christ's glory. May the Lord bless it to your hearts. May we live the holy lives that he's worthy of. And may we be as loud and as strong in our voices and our praise. And may we fall down before him and cast our crowns at his feet and give him everything that we've ever done or ever hoped to be because he is all in all. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I can't go home unless I hear number 230 out of the Burgundy. And I don't want to sing it to myself, but it's 230 in the Burgundy. And will you follow through that song with me and see the three choirs that are being referenced in number 230?